Good morning, Storyline. It's really good to be together. Thank you so much for braving. The, I pray it's not snowing, but I have a feeling that we're close if it's not there yet. So um, when our kids were young, they used to love to play these, make up these little games and have these little competitions like who could do this first or who could get there the fastest. And, and one of the games that I made up for them was, um, you know, who could race to get the mail? right? And along with who can rake the most leaves, it was one of my favorite games that, that I made up. What can I say? I was a great father, okay? So um, one day we were in the yard, and I was refereeing this really intense game of who can pull the most weeds. And the, the, the mailman came by, and the kids' eyes lit up because they knew, like, oh, this is on, right? So they come back over by me, and because I was always the starting line, and, and I, not that they needed any more motivation than they already had, but for whatever reason, I can't even remember, I just said, okay, guys, the last one there is the rotten egg. So, on your marks, get set, go. And when I said go, now, Jimmy is two years older than Jenna, and he would always win. So I said go, and they both took off. I did one of these, and I just hip-checked Jimmy, and he went flying in this direction. And Jenna looked back. Her eyes lit up. She's like, yes, like this is my chance. Like I can finally win. And she took off like I've never seen her run before. And she's flying towards this, uh, the mailbox. And sure enough, she won. She got there first. She's just ecstatic. She's so happy. She's jumping up and down, sheer joy. She turns back around to face me and her defeated brother. And she's jumping up and down going, I'm the rotten egg. I'm the rotten egg. <laughs> so <laughs> she didn't quite get it, right? It's really tragic when we get things mixed up, when we get things backwards. And my friend Rachel sent me this video that we opened with uh, last week. And it's a spoof on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, look at all you sinners, right? Like, it's funny, but in another way, it's really super tragic because it actually gets things exactly backwards. It shows Jesus judging and excluding and condemning. You're all evil. <laughs> there is no hope. That's it. Thank you, right? Can you imagine? Now, unfortunately, it comes way too close to the feeling that too many of us have when we think about God. And that's just the truth, right? So last week we said this, that we're going to take this new move to this beautiful new place as an opportunity to remember and celebrate and hopefully be re-inspired by the vision, the mission, and the message that God has invited us to live in and to live out. And I think cultivating a community that reflects the opposite of what we saw in this video is a good place to start. Because Jesus was not like that. Jesus is not like that at all. He's not like that at all. And one of the things that uh, when I'm teaching history at Lakeshore High School one of the things that we take a close look at in my history classes is how presidents begin. It's kind of the beginning of every chapter, right? Like who's the president this chapter? And then one of the first things you look at is basically their inauguration speech. The first thing that they say because it's all about what they're all about. That's typically what those speeches are. It's like, this is why I'm here. This is why I believe you elected me. This is what's most important. This is where I'm focused. This is what I'm committed to. 
So here are a few lines from some of the most famous inauguration speeches in, in U.S. history. It's quiz time, okay? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Who is that? JFK. Right, good, awesome. Okay, how about this one? First of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Who's that? FDR. Oh, you got straight A so far. How about this one? A little tougher. With malice toward none, with charity for all, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds. It's Lincoln in his second inaugural address. Okay, last one. This one's tougher. People often say inspiration doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. <laughs> Who is that? George Carlin, okay? Now, he was, ne <laughs> he was never president, but nowadays, you just never, you never know what could happen, right? But I was, I'm very encouraged as a history teacher, guys. That you guys did very well on that. Thank you for staying awake in class. So anyways, Jesus also had like this inauguration speech, and this is it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And it, too, was very much all about what he is all about. And for the next month or so, we are going to be looking at just like the preamble, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which is now referred to as the Beatitudes. It's the Beatitudes. So let me give a little background of what's happening. So Jesus has been kind of traveling around the region. He's done some speaking in private. We know very little about what he's saying in these private um, it, it just says he would go to synagogues in this village or that. But we don't really have him giving a public address yet. But he's been going around teaching. He's been healing a lot of people, causing quite a stir. A lot of people have heard the name. And, but nobody really knows, like, what is this guy all about? What's his vision? What's his message? You know, what, what's his mission? So this is how the Bible describes the, the beginning of the Beatitudes. It says, large crowds from Galilee the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first beatitude, right? So Jesus starts everything with this. These are the first words out of his mouth in his inaugural address. And they're all about what he is all about. Like this is the most basic, the most distilled down version and vision. This is the fundamental, elemental aspect of his vision, his mission, and his message. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to even begin to peel back all the layers of what this means, we have to first kind of have a, a feel for the setting, like the where and the when and the who of where this is taking place, okay? So this sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount now, it was not a sermon by anybody's estimation, uh, certainly nowadays, okay? It took place in a really remarkable setting. Now, Jesus was Jewish for every day of his life. He was Jewish, right? And certainly there were a lot of Jewish people in this crowd, but many weren't. So the Bible like, takes pains to point out that there were people there from the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. That's a Greek region from Syria, from the region across the Jordan River. And all of those people weren't Jewish. They weren't even close to Jewish, right? They didn't know the Jewish scriptures. 
They didn't follow the Jewish rules. They didn't perform the Jewish rituals. Nothing. Not even close. So this is like a mishmash, a hodgepodge of people from all over who believe all kinds of different things about God. They're from all different kinds of religions, right? And that who, that's who's there to hear this inauguration speech, the Sermon on the Mount, and this first beatitude. So this is what's happening. That's the buzz. That's what's going on. And you get this sense that this is the beginning of something. Like something big is about to start. Here, this is this man's first public address. The man that everyone is talking about is about to talk. And so, you know, that everything, everybody falls quiet. He starts off. And in what is known now, it's famous. It's widely known as the, the most famous speech in the history of the world, Jesus begins with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Unfortunately, it's really difficult for us just at a quick glance to just get how backward, how backward this would have sounded to that audience. It really would have. It would have been a shocking thing to say. So the first thing that we have to see is that poor in spirit is not a compliment, okay? It's not a positive term. It's not a positive trait or a condition. To be poor in spirit was not good. It's not a good thing. It means that you're a nobody, like a nothing. You're the dropped out, the picked over, the left behind, a zero. You have no standing, no power, no prestige, no status. You're probably of questionable moral standing. You have nothing to offer. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And what Jesus is doing here is so backward. It's so upside down and inside out. But when we see it, it's also just so beautiful. And that's, that's beautiful. And so beautiful and so brilliant. So beautiful and so brilliant. He starts by saying, blessed, blessed. And the commentators on the Bible describe this state of being blessed it's not lucky. It's not even this um, state of happiness, but a state or a condition in which you understand God is with you and for you. To be blessed, um, one of my favorite theologians says, to be blessed means God is on your side. He totally ripped me off on that. Blessed is this very large, holistic, like all-encompassing state of the care and the provision of God. So for Jesus to be saying that to this crowd, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the lame and the losers, the lost and the last, blessed. God is on your side. It would have blown them away. This is the last group he should be saying this to. And what Jesus is doing here is he's announcing something. Not only is this not a sermon, this isn't even a teaching. It's, it's not a morality lesson. It isn't like seven easy steps on how to get blessed. That's not what this is. He begins it all with an announcement. This isn't a command. It's not a demonstration. It's not one of his parables. People aren't going, well, what's the point of the story? He just comes right out and makes this announcement. It's simply 
a statement about reality, capital R. That's what Jesus is doing. It's so amazing. It's so incredible. It's so counterintuitive. We can hardly believe it to be true. One author put it this way. God is on the side of everybody for whom there is no reason why God should be on their side. Bad man. I am for open immigration, but that sign we have in the front of the Statue of Liberty, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Can't we just say, hey, the door's open. We'll take whoever you got. <laughs> Do we have to specify the wretched refuse? I mean, why don't we just say, give us the unhappy, the sad, the slow, the ugly, people that can't drive, if they have trouble merging, if they can't stay in their lane, if they don't signal, can't parallel park, if they're sneezing, if they're stuffed up, if they're clogs, if they have bad penmanship, don't return calls, if they have dandruff, food between their teeth, if they have bad credit, if they have no credit. Mr. Spot Shaving. In other words, any dysfunctional, defective slob that you can somehow cattle prod onto a wagon, send them over, we want <laughs> Okay. That's what's happening here. And I know it's funny because it seems so foolish. And, and you know what? You know what this is called? Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. The door's open for any dysfunctional, defective slob. We want them. It's the gospel. It's the glorious gospel of God's grace. And it's also the first beatitude of Jesus. Now, say what you want about America, and, and we have a long way to go. But this right here, the fact that that is engraved at the bottom of our Statue of Liberty is as close as it gets to a country aspiring to live out God's grace. It's a beautiful thing. But if you're like me, you hear this and you're thinking, okay, there's got to be a catch. Like, come on. Like, what is going on? This can't be. No, there's no way. And you're asking, like, what is it about this condition of being poor in spirit that, like, qualifies us somehow, that gets God on our side? There's got to be something. Like, how does being poor in spirit get you blessed by God? I think it's a fair question, but you know what that is? I mean, questions like that, it's, it's religion. That's what it is. What must I do to be blessed by God? That's a religious question, and this is what religion is all about. What do I have to do, stop doing, perform, purify, believe, or sacrifice in order to get God to accept me, in order to get God to bless me. And from the very beginning of time, we know this through archaeology and anthropology, humanity has been inventing all kinds of answers to that question. Well, you have to sacrifice your firstborn, or you have to kill a dove, or you have to sacrifice your first fruits, or you have to offer a virgin to the volcano. It might be, no, you have to travel to that city. No, you've got to face this direction so many times a day and say this. Or you've got to chant this word or achieve some spiritual level of awareness. In some religions nowadays, you have to vote a certain way. And, and probably the most popular religion around the world today, it goes like this. You've got to believe a certain thing. That's by far. That, that, that tenet right there cuts through almost every major world religion. 
That's what you've got to do. And then God will bless you. Then God will be on your side. But Jesus begins his ministry on earth with the announcement, no. No. Everything you thought about God is exactly backwards. It's exactly backwards. Religion, as it turns out, is the race for the rotten egg. It's just not going to work. It's not how God works. There's nothing you can do to be blessed by God. Nothing. And here's why. God's already and always on your side. He's already and always on your side. It's an amazing thing to say. Don't miss this. This is totally brand new. It's unheard of. It's revolutionary. It's so upside down and backward that people were baffled by it then. They're baffled by it today. And beyond baffled, there were a lot of people who were just pissed about it. They were. There still are. Right? Beginning with the most devout people, like the religious establishment, the religious elite, because, of course, like we said, they believe it's what they believe is the reason God's on their side. Don't take that away from me, for goodness sakes. Right? This is why God's on my side, because I believe... What I believe is the reason God is on my side and not on your side. It's typically how that goes, right? And it's true today. It was true in Jesus' time. People who thought of maybe it's who they were, like I'm Jewish. Maybe it's the, their religion or their ethnicity. You know, that's why God's on my side. Or because of my lifestyle, I'm righteous. Or because of what I believe, I'm pious, I'm orthodox. Um, that, by the way, is being rich in spirit. That's being rich in spirit. Religion is for the rich in spirit. That's who it's for. And they wanted Jesus to start everything off like this. Blessed is God when the good people, like me, are on his side. So they were not happy at all with his opening line, right? But here's the deal. Jesus is not announcing the beginning of a new religion here. He's doing exactly the opposite. He's doing the complete and total opposite. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to end them. This is the end. This, is, this announcement is the end of mankind trying to figure out ways to please or appease or impress God. It's the end of, of humanity oppressing, excluding, shaming, and judging others in God's name. No more. Is how Jesus starts. No more. No more abusing each other in some desperate attempt to be God's favorite person. That's what's happening. Jesus is declaring the death of something that is, to some people, it is more sacred, it is more holy to them than God himself. Right? It's their religion. It's their self-righteousness. It's their way of managing and controlling others, and frankly, their way of managing and controlling God. I pushed this button, I jumped through this hoop, I jumped over this line, now God, you have to. That's what it is. It's their way of deciding who's good, who's bad, who's in, who's out, who's worthy, and who isn't. We've all seen it, we've all experienced it, which is why when someone sticks up for the left out, for the downtrodden, 
for those that are left behind. When we see someone defend the poor in spirit against someone who's rich in spirit, our soul comes alive. So, Rupert, y'all take your darts over here pretty seriously, huh? <laughs> See what we got here. Hey, there it is. Do you like darts, Ted? Oh, they're okay. I'm more of a, you know, a cornhole man myself. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. How about a game? I mean, we could you know, maybe wager, say, 10,000 pounds. Well, as my doctor told me when I got addicted to fettuccine Alfredo, that's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> uh, how about this? If you win, I'll let you pick the starting lineup of the last two games of the season. But if I win, you can't go anywhere near the owner's box, at least not while your back is still in charge. What do you think? You're on. OK. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Dukes. Yeah, just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on me. Shall I be giving you the lineup card now, Ted? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait a second. I forgot I'm left handed. <gasps> Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a bullseye. <laughs> Good luck. Mm. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, Yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. We love that, right? There's something deep within us that resonates very deeply with that. Can you imagine how powerful it would be and life-transforming it would be if we were curious instead of judgmental? If that's the kind of people we were and the kind of community that we cultivated here, how cool would that be? You see, Jesus is saying to the Ruperts of the world, you know, those who are rich in spirit, you have it all backward. You have it all backward. You have nothing to offer God. And here's why. It isn't because people aren't amazing and incredible. It isn't because we don't have, each and every one of us doesn't have incredible and amazing gifts to offer. We all, we all do. It's because there's nothing that God needs. There's nothing that God needs. And, and that seems a little scary until you realize that what Jesus is really saying here is God doesn't need you, but he desperately wants you. He chooses you. He loves you. 
You see, God didn't create us to get something from us. He created us to give something to us. And this means that his love for us isn't about what we do or about what we don't do or even about what we believe. It has nothing to do with that. And certainly our success in life isn't some sign that like we're favored somehow more than the people who are flailing and failing. That is not the game that God is in. His love for us actually isn't even about us at all, in a way. Just like parents with a newborn, right? Even, even some of the louder babies that I can hear back there right now <laughs> that definitely would have been my kids when they were that age, right? <laughs> They're... The thing about the, the, the parents of a newborn baby, it can't do anything except scream, apparently, right? It can't do anything. So it is with God in us. It's not about like what we do. It's about whose we are. And this means that no one is excluded. God wants us all. And this isn't just talk from Jesus. He proved it with this life, with who he invited, who he included, and who he liked frankly, who he chose to be around. Look, so like a man named Zacchaeus, who was a traitor, Simon the Zealot, who was a terrorist, Mary Magdalene, she was a prostitute, a Roman centurion, who was like a member of the oppressive and violent political tyranny. All of these kinds of people and more. His gospel was not just for the broken and the lost. The gospel isn't just for those who have broken hearts. It's for those who have broken hearts. Both. So when we understand what Jesus is saying here, his vision, his mission, and his message, it should be no surprise that the cast out and the cast off, the forgotten and the downtrodden, and those who've made horrific mistakes those who've just committed terrible wrongs, all of those people, all of the victims and the villains in life, when they hear this first beatitude, they receive it as good news. But it also should not be surprising to discover that it was the people who believed that, yeah, I've got it right. I've got it down. I'm all put together. These are the people who hated Jesus. In fact, they're the ones who had him killed. Jesus was murdered for his message. He was assassinated for his gospel. And the beautiful and tragic and divine irony of it is that it is his death on the cross that made his gospel of grace possible. It made our cry for mercy something that he could and he does offer each and every one of us.
So good, Morgan. Thank you. It's a beautiful song. It's a cry for mercy, and, and I think it's one that we can all relate to, right? But the gospel of grace is an announcement, and it goes way beyond God going easy on us. God just understanding where we're coming from and everything we've been up against in our life. Certainly he does. But the gospel of grace that Jesus is announcing goes way beyond just God going easy on us. This is God forgiving us, offering us a fresh start each and every day. This is the already love, acceptance, forgiveness, and affection of God. This is how Jesus starts. This is the first words out of his mouth. You know, I remember when my son Jimmy was born, I just loved him. Like, I just loved him. No reason. He was this messy, screaming lump. And Lisa kept saying, and I just loved him. Lisa kept saying, he's so beautiful. And I kept thinking, no, no, he's not at all. He's not even close. I mean, he turned out okay, but it was a rough 
rough start. But I just loved him anyway. And then two years later, uh, our daughter Jenna was born. And she, she's a super high achiever. And I love that about her. But I've always told her that isn't why I love you. Long before she accomplished anything, I just loved her. And then two years after Jenna, our daughter Emily was born. And she was so precious and so broken in so many ways. And you know what? I just loved her. I just loved her. And here's why. We all know this. You know, you love your children. I love my children because they're mine. I just love them. I just love them. We can, and I certainly do, we, too easily we get caught up in how good our kids are at this or that. And, and you know what? That should be celebrated. But their hearts are just like ours. They, they are spring-loaded to be religious. And by that I mean this, have this understanding that we have to behave in order to belong. We have to perform in order to be accepted. Right? So we just are, we're in this mode on the treadmill of trying to earn love, right? But God isn't like that. It works just the other way. We've got it backwards. God, Jesus is inviting people to belong before they behave. That's what makes this so amazing, that he said, that he said blessed to that crowd. Jesus is inviting people to, to belong before they believe. Now, now, we know we love our kids because they belong before they behave. That's for sure, right? They belong no matter what they believe simply because they are ours. And look what Jesus says. If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father? I can't begin to explain how upside down and backwards and revolutionary this is. He's not supposed to say things like that. Because we're all thinking the same thing. Well, what about, what happens if, but then, uh, and he says it anyways. Now, all of this begs the question this morning, how do we know if we're poor in spirit? right? Like, how do we know if that's us? Are we poor in spirit? And I'm so glad you're thinking that because I've got even more good news for you. You are. You are poor in spirit, and I am poor in spirit. Even the rich in spirit, those who think that they deserve God's love and acceptance, you know, those jumping up and down because they won the race for the rotten egg, even they are poor in spirit. The only difference is they don't know it. They don't know it. And Jesus came not to tell us to be poor in spirit so that then God will bless you. He came to tell us, just like newborn infants, we are poor in spirit. We have nothing that we can do that adds to God, that can give him anything he doesn't already have. To realize this makes life, the entire flow of life, Reverse itself. Reverse directions. It means that we understand that the kingdom of God is ours because God is good, not because we are. 
And what that does is it just totally reverses the direction of life. Now life isn't about proving. It isn't about winning. It's about enjoying and embodying and extending the goodness, grace, acceptance, and love that we've received freely, doing that freely with all of God's children. It's a brand new way to live. It's a brand new way to see life, what to look for in life, and who we're going to serve with our life. Those who are rich in spirit won't, don't, and tragically, maybe at some point, can't trust God is good, which really sets up this tragically backward scenario in life. You see, when it comes to us and God, it isn't Jesus that's doing the judging and the excluding and the condemning. It's us. It's the rich in spirit doing the judging, excluding, and condemning God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's really good news. It will change how we see life, what we look for in life, who we will serve with our life. This is life off of the treadmill of performance and religion. This is the gospel of grace. It is to see and to celebrate that God just loves us. He just loves us because we're his. belongs to you don't believe me but it's true sure the freckles on my arms spell out your name real feelings coming through it's all i know and all i am is you yeah, all i know and all i am is you
So Jesus came to invite us to accept this unbelievable acceptance that God is offering us, to see that the freckles on our arm spell out God's name because we're his. That's it. God just loves us because we're his. And his announcement, his opening line is the antidote religion, this race for the rotten egg. God is all in. He's on our side. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time in this place, for this opportunity to be together. I pray that you would help us to somehow believe, trust in this unbelievable idea that you're already on our side. I pray that you would help it Help us to see life differently, look for things in life differently, uh, figure out who and how we can serve others differently because you're already on our side. God, I pray that this week that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.